turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God has shown himself faithful in his dealings with the Israelites. He has brought them out of the land of their enslavement. God had established how the Israelites were going to have a relationship with him and be a light to the rest of the world. Then God had prepared them for battle getting them ready to march into the promised land. It seemed like nothing would stand in their way. Nothing except themselves. The Israelites began to complain to Moses and God about what they were eating. They complained so much it made Moses begin to complain too. We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. As we move on to verse 10, this is only a few days out of Sinai and right on the wings of fiery judgment. Can you imagine how disastrous this was for Moses and how awful he must have felt? So what does Moses start to do? Now it's Moses' turn to complain. Verse 10. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families. Can I tell you something? There is nothing more discouraging to a leader when you hear all the people underneath you talking about how miserable they are at their job. Like as a dad, there's nothing that's more deflating to me when all the kids are just complaining because I feel like a total absolute failure. That's immature and I shouldn't do that. I'm just being honest with you. That's how I feel at times. I don't blame Moses for this here. Moses feels like an absolute complete failure. When he heard their crying and the weeping throughout their families, some of the complaints start reaching his ears. And this is not just an isolated few. It's spread all throughout the camp. Well, it says here that the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And they weren't even doing it privately. It mentions every man in the door of his tent. But it says the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. So God is beginning to say, I need to do something about this. They're in sin again. But Moses, it mentions here, also was displeased. The complaining, we said, was evil in the ears. The word for displeased here means evil to the eye. See, Moses isn't displeased for the same reason God's displeased. Moses feels overwhelmed. Only a few days from Sinai and his complete failure, God's about to wipe all the people out. So now he complains to God too. Verse 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people upon me? That's a heavy, heavy complaint. Why have you afflicted me? The word there afflicted means to bring disaster, cause hardship, to mistreat. Lord, you've been unfair to me. This trip is only three days out and it's already over. It's already over. Why have you put this huge burden upon me? The word their burden means the responsibility of transporting them from Sinai to the promised land. Why have you placed the burden of getting them there on me? Why have you not shown me favor? Remember Moses in, I think it's Exodus 32 or 33, where he had said, how how will it be known that you favor us? Isn't it that you go with us and lead us to the promised land? So Moses is saying, Lord, we're not gonna get there at this rate. We're all gonna die off. You're gonna wipe us all out. 
So Moses saying the sign of God's favor is that he'd personally bring them to the promised land. And if God wipes everyone out, that can't happen. Now, this is a pretty harsh accusation against God. But see, Moses feels this way because he has a wrong view of who's leading Israel to the promised land. And let me tell you, if you lead a ministry or if you lead anything at all, you lead your family and you think it all depends on you, you are gonna feel overwhelmed. You think it all depends upon you, you aren't gonna see a light at the end of the tunnel. You think it all depends upon you, you're gonna think to yourself, this ship is going down. No matter how hard you row, you're going down. But that's not the case. So Moses has a wrong view, a wrong perspective. Now, truthfully, if their survival depended upon Moses, then yes, God was unfair to him because Moses can't do that. But that wasn't the case at all. Now, you might be sitting there and going, but that's obvious. Obviously, God wouldn't expect Moses to do that. Yeah, but how many times do we complain to God like that? If this sounds a little emo Moses for you, remember that quite a few good people in the Bible went emo for a bit when they had wrong ideas or got their eyes off God. I like to call him emoses at this point. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of taking on responsibilities that don't belong to us. We put ourselves in God's position and then we get bitter at him because of our failures. But can I say to you, that's a quick ticket to a depressed life. One that can even lead to suicidal thoughts. Moses goes on and he says, have I conceived all these people? I I didn't birth them. Why are you expecting me to raise them? Have I begotten them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nursing father bears a nursing child unto the land which you swear unto their fathers? Where am I gonna find flesh for them in the middle of the desert? Where am I gonna find flesh to give to all these people? For they weep unto me saying, give us flesh that we may eat. And so Moses in verse 14, he says, I am not able to bear all this people alone. It is too heavy for me. And if you're gonna deal this way with me, if that's the plan, then kill me, I pray you. Out of hand, kill me right now. Don't even waste a moment. If I have found favor in your sight, and in other words, if you really love me and, and you're for me, then just kill me right now so I don't even see my own wretchedness anymore. I read that and I relate to that a lot because I've battled my own demons in regards to depression over the course of my life. I understand how Moses feels. There's times I came to God and said, Lord, just the best thing for me would be for you to remove me from the equation because my family's suffering, my friend's suffering, the church is suffering because I'm just not up to snuff. I am not the man I need to be. I am failing. I am not doing a good enough job. Moses here just asked the Lord to take him home, take him out. But see, that's not God's plan to help E. Moses. God has a better plan for him. Verse 16, the Lord said unto Moses, I want you to gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with you. And I will come down and I'm going to talk with you there so they can all see all the people and you. And I will take of the spirit which is upon you and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you're not carrying it all by yourself alone. I want you to get some of the elders of the people. These would be the older, mature, wise men in the nation. Those who were representatives for the people. Men that the different tribes would put forward and say, you go speak for us. You're old, mature, wise. You know, you've seen life. You would be a good representative. Officers would be work foremen. So these would be business leaders in their community. God says, find these guys, 70 of them, guys that are trusted, bring them down. I'm gonna put the same spirit I put on you on them and I'll equip them to help you with the task of leading the nation. I want you to note that in these two verses, is there any hint of God's anger with Moses for his complaint? None. God isn't angry for Moses for taking on a burden God never gave him. What amazing compassion. Like the Lord didn't just look at him and go, Moses, yeah, you didn't birth these people. I did. And you're not ever asked you to carry these people. You're being nonsensical. Quit being so emo, Moses. Get up, you know, let's go. I've got this. He doesn't mention any of it. 
He just says to him, I can see you're overburdened. Here's my solution. What amazing compassion. See, the Bible says God is near to those whose spirits are crushed. Moses is at rock bottom, ashamed of himself and despairing of life, but God doesn't pile on him. And that's how you know when the enemy's speaking to you. Because if someone's piling on you, if you hear a voice piling on you, that's not the Lord. He never does that. He never does that. And the way out of that depression or the way out of that hole that you're in, that rock bottom spot, is to start listening to God's compassionate voice instead of the condemning voice of your own heart or the condemning voice of the enemy. Because even though you don't deserve it, God has a good plan for you moving forward, even though you are a failure even though you may have messed up, even though it may not be working, even though everything may be teetering on the edge of destruction and you feel overwhelmed and out of control, God still has a good plan for you moving forward. I would say to you tonight, if you're battling self-loathing or depression or even suicidal thoughts, can I tell you that God, he can overcome your frailty and your weakness? He loves you. He's not done with you. And you haven't failed so badly that he can't work with that. I think a lot of the times we see the people in the Bible that God picked, like Moses, are so we could have hope for ourselves. Paul said that. He said, why did God save me? I'm the chief of sinners. So you can't even claim to be the worst. He already claimed to be the worst. It's biblical. So you're wrong. If you think you're the worst, you are wrong because the Bible says you're not. The Bible says Paul is. He said, why did he do that? Why did he use me? So that he would be an example that God can use any of us as well. Wherever you're at, if you're struggling with that, do you believe that God can overcome your frailty and weakness? Do you believe that he wants to help you? Because he does. Does God have a good plan for the people too? I mean, this is a pretty cool response to Moses' complaining. What about the people though? He mentioned he was angry at them. Yes, God has a good plan for them, but they have a different part to play than Moses because their attitude problem is of a different nature. Look at verse 18. That's what I, my plan for you. Verse 18, here's my plan for the people. And you say unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. That's the first command. You go to the people and here's their part. Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. In other words, you have 24 hours to sanctify yourselves. What does that mean to sanctify yourself? It means to consecrate yourself, to set yourself apart as holy. They're complaining, their attitude, everything about their behavior was wicked. They had a 24 hour period to get their hearts right with God. God says, you go tell the people you got 24 hours to fix your attitude because he's got a plan for them, that's good. But if they have a wrong attitude, they're gonna approach it the wrong way. If you miss this part, you miss the main lesson of the entire chapter. God is angry at their selfish and lustful attitudes, but he doesn't wanna judge them again. He doesn't wanna send fire again. He wants to bless them, but he can't unless they repent. So before giving them meat, he gives them 24 hours to repair their heart. So when it comes, they can eat it thankfully instead of selfishly. So he explains to them, 24 hours to fix your heart and you shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh and you shall eat. But here's the kicker. You shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither 10 days, nor 20 days. Can I get a 25? But even a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils, until it's just pouring out of every hole in your body, basically. And it'd be loathsome unto you. It just, you see it again. You're like, ah, I don't want to have any more meat for the rest of my life. He says, until it makes you nauseous because that you have despised the Lord, which is among you. And you have wept before him saying, why did we leave Egypt? Why did we come forth out of Egypt? God knew they'd ignore his command to sanctify their hearts because if you read the story, you know how it ends. So he warns them, if you're looking for fulfillment from the meat, 
you're going to find it doesn't bring fulfillment either if your heart doesn't change. Why? Because it wasn't going to be one day of meat. It was going to be a whole month of meat. Now you might be saying, now God, that's a little bit vindictive here. Is God doing this to get back at them? Not at all. He's trying to teach them something. He's trying to teach them, I didn't have to give you manna. I could make quail come every day. I could make anything. I could make fish fly if I wanted to. I could give you anything I want. It's not a matter of my ability to provide for you what you would like, but that's not gonna teach you to have a thankful heart. There are numerous occasions with my children and I see their yucky attitude and their slouchy behavior and their whininess and whatever. And they said, well, you know, dad, you know, can I have this? And I say, no. Now, why do I say no? Well, because you're bothering me with your attitude. No, it has nothing to do with that. I look at them and I say, you know what? Daddy would normally say yes in this situation, but he's gonna say no today because your attitude stinks. And if I give this to you right now, you're gonna think it's okay to stay right where you are, that you don't have to change your attitude. And I would be irresponsible as a father to turn you loose in the world thinking you could behave like that. Because I see adults acting like that who were never trained as children that that's not acceptable behavior. They whined and they kicked and they screamed. And so mom and dad said, oh, here, Johnny, have that. You know, it's okay, have the, have the lollipop, whatever. No, don't give them the lollipop. Tell them and say, no, you're not getting a lollipop. Because when you get 25 someday and you come to your boss and you say, boss, you know, you know I, I, work, I work really hard here. I should get a raise. And the boss turns to you and goes, you know what, John? We're a little tight right now. I'll consider raises next year, but not this year. And you go, why not? You're going to get fired. And you're not going to be able to take care of your family. So it is a big deal to learn that lesson, to have a thankful attitude, to not have a whiny, complaining attitude. Say, Pastor Will, you're a mean dad. Yes, I am. No chastening for the present time seems joyous. We read that this morning. But it yields fruit that's good. So God's not doing it to get back at them. He's trying to teach them so they won't be, you know, won't revise their history of in Egypt again because they're upsetting him about something else down the road. You know, next time it'll be their sleeping arrangements. Who knows what else it'll be? He doesn't want them to have that revisionist history in their mind because it's so easy to forget about the chains of, thin, of sin when you're struggling following the Lord. It's easy to forget where you were and how bad that was. Don't fall into that trap. Trust the Lord. Remember, Moses is Emoses right now, so he's not at his best. So even though God's been very gracious with him and he's got a good plan for the people, Moses is still looking at himself as the one who has to provide the food. And so Moses, verse 21 said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 soldiers. It doesn't even count their wives and their kids. And you have said, I will give them flesh and they eat it for a whole month. He goes, shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them? That won't even be enough for them. We kill every animal in the camp. We still can't give them enough meat. Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered? Where am I gonna find enough people to gather all that fish to suffice them? And the Lord says to him, is the Lord's hand waxed short? You shall see now whether my word shall come to pass unto you or not. Again, I love God's patience with him. He says, is, is my arm waxed short? Is the Lord's hand waxed short? And the idea means, is my hand not reach out far enough to help you? Is it too weak to come up with this? God gently appeals to Moses' sense of reason here. Moses had seen the 10 plagues. He had walked through the Red Sea and he'd been cradled in God's hand in Sinai. Yet, when Moses doesn't respond in faith, God gently makes him a promise. He doesn't rebuke him. He just gently makes him a promise. Isn't our God so gentle? 
I read this text and the only thing that keeps me from wanting to slap Moses upside the head is the fact that I've done the same thing many times. I go and I complain, oh Lord, where are we going to get this? How are we going to take care of this? How are we going to do this? And you know, you just hear that gentle voice of the Lord. He says, is my hand too short to help this situation? Can you go back in your history in the positive ways and how I've always taken care of you? I have to always remind myself, I'm still here and breathing today. That's a good thing to do to yourself. I'm still here and breathing today because that means whatever obstacles you encountered in your past, you somehow got through them. You're still here and breathing today, which means he's gonna keep you through the rest of the days. Moses deserves a good talking to, but God gives him a promise and he does the same thing to us. Verse 24, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and he set them round about the tabernacle and the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke unto him and he took of the spirit that was upon him and he gave it unto the 70 elders and it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and they did not cease. In John three thirty four, it says that God did not give Jesus the spirit with measure. In other words, he had all the Holy Spirit's power resting on top of him. Us, we do not experience that same thing. The rest of us get the Spirit's power in measurement to the task God has set us on. Since Moses' responsibilities will be set out, uh, spread out now, these men would need that same power. Now, it doesn't mean God took away power from Moses and spread it out among them. The Holy Spirit doesn't operate by the law of the conservation of matter and energy. He's God. He's outside of those laws. So he is infinite. He has infinite power. He's not limited. So God doesn't need to take away from Moses to give it to these guys. Nor is God punishing Moses and taking his spirit from him. He's just adding the same empowering that was upon Moses to these men. And that's a perfectly fine thing to ask. Say, Lord, can you give me more of your spirit for the task I have? Surely we can do that. And I think we should do that. When that happens, the men started preaching to the people. And surely that was an important thing since they needed to spend the next 24 hours repenting of their attitude so they can be ready for the big day tomorrow. Now, it mentions here at the end, they did not cease. It means they did not add or increase to their prophesying. So most language experts believe this was like a one-time thing for them. The spirit fell upon them in this moment, rested upon them, means that he made his home on them. He would empower them to, to lead like Moses was, but they didn't prophesy anymore. They didn't preach anymore after this. However, there were two exceptions of men who continued to preach, verse 26. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad. The name of the other was Medad. The spirit rested upon them. So the spirit didn't rest on the other guys. He just came upon them, but the spirit settled down and stayed upon these two guys. And they were of them that were written. In other words, it was recorded. They were invited to this big event, but they did not go out to the tabernacle. The Bible doesn't tell us why. They were invited to be part of the group of the 70, but they didn't show up for the big event. Now God still gave them this power though. They're out there preaching in the camp, it says. They didn't go out to the tabernacle, but they were preaching in the camp. Now, something like of that magnitude where two other guys are preaching in the camp, that's going to be noticed, especially when it's happening in different places. It's like, what's going on? So somebody came and ran and told Moses. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, his assistant, one of his young men answered and said, he's also a young guy. And he said, my Lord Moses, forbid them, tell them to stop. Note, it doesn't mention that these guys are rebelling against Moses' invitation. It doesn't tell us why they weren't there. It has no negative things to say about these guys. But Joshua, while he doesn't tell us why he wants Moses to tell them to stop, Moses' words in a moment hint that Joshua is jealous for the man he assists every day. See, Joshua had a close-up view of all the struggles Moses went through. He saw the patience, the love, and the care for a people who frequently accused Moses of wrongdoing. 
He loved Moses, and he didn't like the idea of others being looked up to as God's spokespersons. And while we can appreciate Joshua's loyalty, God is the one who's getting the glory, right? So there was no reason to stop them. And so we see E-Moses go away and the godly Moses come back. Verse 29, Moses said unto him, are you jealous for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And so Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. I love this whole section. I love it. Like I, I could just sit here for a bit. You know, we've seen a lot in this chapter about Moses the man, but here we see him again as the man of God. And he shares his godly heart with Joshua. He says, I wish God would appoint all his people as prophets. Moses wanted every child of God to experience all God had for them. And I would ask you this evening, is that your heart? Or do you get jealous when God uses someone else instead of you? See, most of us don't have a problem with God using somebody else as long as he uses me in an equal or greater capacity, right? But that's not the case here. Moses is losing attention to these guys, but he's fine with it as long as God's glorified. It's the same attitude with John the Baptist when he said, I must decrease that Jesus might increase. Is that your heart? Who cares if someone else increases as long as Jesus is increasing, right? We should be excited to be cheerleaders for the Lord. But what I love about Moses is he turns to Joshua and he goes, Joshua, we need to be in the camp preaching too. And so Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. So all these guys go out and they start telling the people, let's get ready for tomorrow. Let's get our hearts right. So did they? Verse 31. And there went forth a wind from the Lord, this is next day, and brought quails from the sea. The Gulf of Aqaba was right near where they were, would not be far for a wind to bring them that way. Brought quails from the sea and let them fall. This wind was so severe, they, they tired out and they fell down, or God supernaturally brought them down. They let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on every side. A day's journey on this side, day's journey on the other side, all round about the camp as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. Quail were stacked three feet high, squawking and tired and whatever, an easy game for the Israelites. So verse 32, the people stood up all the next day and all that night. I mean, it was gathering all day and night and they gathered the quails. And he that gathered the least amount gathered 10 omers. The estimates put this around 300 pounds of meat. That's the least. Many people got more than that. Can you imagine the scene? All the squawking and people running to and fro. Yes, Will, but what about their attitude? Did they sanctify themselves? Verse 33, and while the meat was yet between their teeth, ere it was even chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And so he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people that lusted. Kiroth, uh, Kibroth Hatava, it means graves of lusting. The method of death is not described. It just says that a lot of people died. And it did when they took their first bites, lusting after it and not thankful at all. They took their first bite and the Lord smote them right there. They had every chance to repent during that period till the moment they put the food in their mouth. And once they acted upon it, the Lord said, I have to do something. And so it says that people died. So verse 35, the people journeyed from Kibroth Hata'ava unto Hazaroth, and they stayed there at Hazaroth. We see here that some did not repent. And so what was meant to be a grace and a really joyous day turned into judgment. Two stops, two problems, two judgments. And yet they're not gone. So there's lots of grace to continue the journey. If you and I are to reach the destination of that abundant life that Christ promised to us, you and I need lots of grace too. So on our side, we need to deal with a complaining heart if we have one. 
we need to make sure that we have thankful hearts. In Philippians chapter two, it exhorts us to have that thankful heart. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse world among whom you shine as lights to the world. If you're complaining just along with everybody else out there, you'll be no different than them and they're not gonna see Jesus in you. Well, how do I do that? James chapter four, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Recognize that, Lord, I need to trust you that you know what's best for me. That's the solution to selfish complaining. Let's all stand. Lord, one of the signs of the last days is that you said through your servant Paul that they would be unthankful. Lord, we don't want it to be said of us that we are unthankful. Lord, there are so many things that we can thank you for each and every day. And right now we take the time to just in our own hearts to bring up before you some of those things that we're thankful for. Thank you for our spouses, Lord. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our health, Lord. Thank you for preserving us when we have difficult health problems. Thank you for this church, Lord. And Lord, so many other things we could raise before you right now. But Lord, it's not just about saying thank you right now. It's about having thankful lives. So Lord, we do what James says. We humble ourselves before you and we confess, you know what's best for us, Lord. And you always will. And we know you love us, Lord. So we choose to trust you. We choose to trust you, not ourselves, knowing that you'll raise us up and lift us up even in the most difficult of circumstances that we don't wanna be in. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. It can be so easy to complain about life, having the wrong kind of job, or no job, a tough marriage, having disrespectful children, or poor health, the list goes on and on. And while all of those things may be hard, there is still always something to be thankful for in the here and now. God is still good. He is still merciful. Even when things look bleak, there is still good to be found in the everyday. We have to trust Him. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.